Carl. Wow, I can't do a Bane voice to save my life. It is Bane. Yep, that sounds like crap. But you'll be happy to know third season of Harley Quinn premieres July 28th. So then you'll hear more Bane with the second most hacker voice after yours. Geomologist presents. That was Jason Connerly at the top of the show trying to do a Bane from the Harley Quinn cartoon that just came out last Thursday, the 28th of July. I've watched a few episodes and uh, I didn't, I don't know. I don't know. Amy says that it's not as good as before. I did like the award ceremony episode, which was really funny to me. And good, it was, it's got some story moving and all that. I would say that Jason's attempt at Bane sounded more like Snagglepuss, though, um, as opposed to Bane, because Bane sounds like this, I think. Maybe. I don't know. I have to work on it and practice more Bane for you all. Um, I'm not that great at voices, as was highlighted uh, last night when I ran Amy's birthday game. I tried to do German, and it sounded Italian or even French. So, I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Um, it has been a while, and we need to catch up. I want to talk to you guys about um, my latest Warhammer Fantasy episode before the next one drops or ha- occurs. Uh, I want to talk to you about um, prep for the birthday game I ran for Amy. Uh, I ran, she wanted me to run something Downton Abbey themed, so I, we talked about it, and I thought Call of Cthulhu. Um, so it's Downton Abbey, A New Cthulhu Era, and we had a really good session. Of course, it didn't get finished, um, so maybe we'll revisit it, but uh, it, it did end up end in a really cool cliffhanger, um, so I'll talk about the prep for it and the game, I think, um, and we did record the session, so maybe there'll be an actual play in the future, which would be kind of cool. Um, I have calls from Anthony Boyd of the Runeslinger of Casting Shadows. I have calls from Nenyan. Oh, no, not Nenyan. It is um, Free Thrall. So of Keep on the... And that is Spencer or Free Thrall from Keep Off the Borderlands as well. So I will try to answer and field those questions, which should be pretty fun. And lastly, it is RPG a Day month here in RPG land world. And I don't know if I'm going to do a podcast every day like I did last year, but the prompt suggests like a theme for the week. So I will probably try to drop at least one podcast on that theme a week. But it seems like at least for the first four days of RPG a day month, I will be playing an RPG. So that's got to count for something right and i do have a game saturday and sunday i just say i gotta fill in friday so if anyone wants to play a game on friday let me know so i could do like the whole week in gaming anyway let's get to uh the calls and i think what's cool is that uh anthony's call is going to prompt me to 
talk about Warhammer Fantasy. So we'll have his calls, and then I'll get into the fall of Castle Wittgenstein. Again, thanks for listening. Hi, Carl. It's Anthony. I've got a lot of catching up to do and in, in uh, calling in to people with comments that are even remotely relevant. But I notice over the last few months that you've been talking about playing Warhammer and, and uh, Warhammer Fantasy in particular. And, you know, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is a game that just never entered my orbit. I never saw it to buy none of the groups uh, that I played with, you know, growing up or through college or after college were involved in it. There were some Warhammer, you know, 40K players and, and that sort of stuff, but really the, the opportunity for roleplay in the, the Warhammer universe just never came up. And... I'm really interested in running it. So I have several editions of it, most of the editions of it, and I've got my, you know, my ideas about which of the versions of Warhammer Fantasy that I want to run and I've tried to do my homework, you know, I've read the books from front to back and I've read some novels and that kind of stuff, but I just keep and this is very unusual for me, I just keep stalling. Um it's not gelling with me. And I wonder if, you know, I think you have introduced it to people uh, in the past. I wonder if you had any advice for how I could get over that initial, it's not really a blockage, but that initial lack of momentum from being ready to run it and actually running it, if you know what I mean. Anthony, thank you for the call. Yeah, you know, I bounced off of Warhammer Fantasy a few times, you know, reading it. I have a whole bunch of second edition material. I collected some of the third edition material, but I didn't really start running it until uh, I got the third edition um, material or the third edition rule set. And what really, what really kind of got me motivated at least to run it or to play it was to have like a I don't know if it was called Session Zero back then. I feel like Session Zero is kind of a new term. But a few years ago, when we first started conceptualizing playing Warhammer Fantasy, we just had a character creation session. And I think that's where it really gelled. Now, I do have you know, a podcast, Why You Should Play Warhammer, from this season, Season 2, Episode 16. It's a pretty well-received podcast of mine. Um, and I discussed the rules reasons why, but I think... To get me over that hump, I it was character creation. And even introducing it to... We have two uh, new players in my Enemy Within campaign. And that's how they... I think that's how the other players sold it to them. Oh, you got to check this out because character creation is really fun. You can do it randomly or choose. And people love to do the random thing and see you know, what the hell they come up with. Whether it's a, a beggar or a knight. And I think that is what's fascinating about the game. Is that you can have a party with a rat catcher and a college magician right so it's kind of cool uh, that you can have that diversity at least, at least in you know socioeconomic status um, in the game because of the randomness of it all so you know other players they prefer and i think that's something great that the new edition has done is that some players don't like that randomness they want to build their character they come from that three five character build story you know not story but 
that sort of mini game tradition and they love doing it. And I've had a player do that as well. I've had a player create, you know, wizard that way. But the thing is that, you know, what I like about fourth edition also, and that's what we focused on, what I focused on in the, in the podcast really is while the, the, the adventures are rich in all the incarnations of the Warhammer fantasy. And um, honestly, you can really easily convert. I converted a second edition adventure to the third edition with all the fiddly bits and everything. And we finished that. That's one of the few adventure paths that I finished the thousands, a uh, thousand thrones, which was a fantastic adventure path. That'd be really fun to honestly run again, maybe with fourth edition. But what I like about fourth edition is it, it makes it streamlines um, character creation, I guess was similar, although this, I think it's more fun and streamlined and there are more options in the fourth edition. And um, I think what's neat about the fourth edition is that progression, career progression is more codified, it's easier, it's easier to do. And I, I definitely think that the fighting and the mechanics are very dynamic. Um, sure, much like these kind of Warhammer games, there's a lot of definitions like uh, about you know weapon characteristics and definitions slash talents, qualities that they have like tags for, for monsters and you know, for your talents as a character. Which eh, can be a little fiddly until you you know play enough and you recall you know what they are. But uh, yeah, I think it's a. I feel it's a very good game. I think you should maybe get together, see how the what, what how things pan out uh, with the player characters. And if you're not even, and I think what would be really fun. I mean, I have an idea for another campaign and some outline. But I think what would be really fun, honestly, is just have a campaign where everyone just rolls randomly. We'll see what we get, and then we go from there. And I think I did that with the last time. And I just kind of, we just kind of fell into adventure. We had, a, um, we what did we have? We had a, a peddler, and a band human bandit. Both were human. A human peddler, human bandit, from random character creation. One player chose their species as a halfling, and then rolled randomly. And they were like a became like a, I think they were like a, I want to say a river warden. And then the other one, the other player chose their to create their character and they made a dwarven slayer. So, you know, the Motley crew and it was really fun to run these guys. And I ran them through um, a really good adventure called Terrace of Talibheim. Um, and they were, became the heroes of Talibheim from those humble, inauspicious beginnings. And I think that's kind of the appeal to me and I hope that helps. And uh, with your inspiration from that question, I'm going to get into what happened at Castle Wittgenstein. So when we last left the heroes, they were in a dire strait. I would say one of their members being having their arm chopped off and bleeding out. Fortunately, uh, the priestess of Raya, Sigrid, ran over to him and stopped the bleeding in a metagame wise, the player spent a fate point to not be dead, though they will now have to contend with having one arm. So the Minotaur was still alive, though, and Morostra and the noble hound Fang kept at it until the others could arrive. Again, uh, something is up with uh, Emric, and he can't cast spells. Um, they're failing, and wine in the local area is becoming contaminated. 
or whatever. He's you know you have to roll when you fail. You have to roll on the mishap table, which is kind of fun. Um, much like the crit table, heads can explode and um, demons can be summoned. But uh, none of that happened. It's just weird, weird events that happened. Oh, actually, I think in this case, um, in this case, he started glowing. But uh, in, and then finally, Reginald, who got jacked up by the Chaos Warrior, uh, holds back, and it is up to Morastra, Fang, and then Sebastian. You know, trying not to slip on the blood that's soaking the carpet and the floor, the stone floor of the castle. I have to go in there and finish the um, Manny the Minotaur. Uh, that's what they called him. That's not the Minotaur's name, but that's what they called the Minotaur. Um, and they, they do dispatch the Minotaur. Um, it is grisly and bloody. They say, okay, well, what do we do with this? As they look on the the blanched figure of of their buddy Ulrich. Um, and Sigrid says, well, I will take care of him. Let's keep moving. Um, as, you know, the castle kind of shakes, which is odd. They've heard lightning and heard rain, but the castle shaking and dust falling from the ceiling is curious. Um, I believe that Emric searched the way, winds of magic for why this was happening and did figure that out. I rolled pretty well to figure that out, but failed to mention that to the other players. At least at this point, uh, they wanted to go to the top of the tower and see what the hell was going on. Um, they did recall that the top of the tower had like a lightning rod. So clearly, um, Lady Marguerite was trying to harness the power of electricity for some nefarious purpose. So they keep moving. The first room they get into is uh, Lady Marguerite's bedroom. They're able to place Ulrich on the bed, at least, to give him some comfort while he lies unconscious. In fact, the room, of course, being a good adventurer that they are, and there's a, there's a, a chest full of gold. Um, the next room they go into looks like it used to be like a a lab with the even complete with a telescope. Uh, there's equipment uh, if you were wanting to make glass and and lenses, you could do that. But Lady Marguerite has converted to a wardrobe. Uh, I guess there's some pretty dresses that might be worth something, but they're not really concerned about that. I would say that Imric, being a mage of the uh, sky tradition. Is a blue mage, Azir, the lore of heaven. So, yeah, the telescope would be kind of cool. Um, they span in here briefly and keep moving up the tower. And the next room they find is a library. They search some, find things on petty magic. I believe one of the characters, possibly Reginald, uh, maybe it was Sebastian, found some books on necromancy. They start piling them, you know, on the table. Uh, they don't find anything substantial. Petty magic being beneath Emric and even the Amber Wizard of Marastra, who is now who's also an Elven Knight and Amber Wizard. And they keep moving up the tower, and they do find, yes, Lady Marguerite has it is like a medical lab, for lack of a better term. There are contraptions and all sorts of things. Lightning is electricity is arcing everywhere. Um, anachronistic Tesla coils, I guess, would be sparking. And a there is a, a, a platform that has been levitated up. Uh, there's some more shaking of the castle. Lightning seems to strike the lightning rod. And Lady Marguerite howls in triumph as it, this lightning arcs and encompasses whatever is on the platform. The players don't quite know yet, but they know that Lady Marguerite is dangerous. And uh, Reginald pulls out his pistols fires once, misses, fires again, hits her in the shoulder, but she acts quick and pulls a lever and lightning 
arcs at throughout the room with the unfortunate consequence of destroying most of the laboratory as well. Uh, Lady Marguerite is not injured, but everyone else is. Uh, they shake it. Some are blind. Some are deafened. Uh, they shake it off as best they can. Um, Marastra and Fang try to run across the floor towards her and both slip and fall, uh, being deafened. I think Marastra was partially blinded. Uh, Sebastian, same. Or I think Sebastian is not, but he tries to carefully make his way across. Imric is deafened, but not blind, and fires uh, his own lightning at her, striking her in the shoulder again, in the body, and she collapses to the ground. Uh, Reginald and Sebastian eventually go over there and have a discussion. Sebastian is of the mind, well, this is a noble woman. Perhaps it is better to bring her in. Reginald cannot quite hear that. Maybe he's being deaf, but not blind. Um, anyway, they figure out how to lower the gurney, and they see essentially this creature, a Frankenstein monster, pieced together, cobbled from um, cobbled from body parts, mutant body parts. It is a horrific thing. Most of the players run out of there, but not before Reginald cuts off the head of Lady Marguerite. Um, I don't know, in spite, <laughs> I guess, not like not caring whether they were a noble, they were trucking in necromancy and foul chaos magic. Uh, therefore, the sentence is death. Now, Sebastian stays. He kind of, the creature looks like it is angry. It is strapped down. He tries to calm it down. By this time, Ulrich has made his way, one arm bandaged up to the top floor. Uh, Imric, Marastra, with Fang, um, and Reginald um, leave the room. Uh, Marastra actually running out of the room, so horrified is he by this abomination that is on the on the table. Um, so what do they do? So um, they say we need to destroy it. They think about maybe trying to take it with them, save it. Maybe Sebastian and Ulrich have that in mind, but Reginald is having none of that. They have a couple bombs left. They lowered the gurney, placed the bombs on this poor creature's, you know, next to this poor creature and raise it. The creature starts shaking, breaks out of one bond. Reginald takes a shot, blows up both bombs, and while well, the creature is destroyed, um, as long as well as a lot of the gurney, this room starts collapsing. Um, meanwhile, Emmerich has found the at least three books, one of each type of magic that these guys are interested in. Um, I think they find they find death, life, and heavens. Um, and maybe they might find a, they might have found, they found those three books at least, and they, they start grabbing them and taking off. Um, Emmerich grabs a telescope as best he can. Um, there's another shake, and the ground starts to crack. They realize that Castle Wittgenstein is coming apart. So they run. Um, who knows what happens to the thing in the pit? Uh, the glass, the glass menagerie or the, the bird cage cracks, and all these mutant creatures halfling bird hybrids fly out um they don't really care they're running as best they can as the manor is collapsing and cracks are forming in the ground uh, they get to the bridge uh, leaping across marastra nearly does not make it but emmerich you know sees what is happening puts his books and telescope down and leaps to grab marastra's hand outstretched arms and he pulls him to safety uh, of course, Fang makes it across no problem. 
no one else really has an issue. Uh, even Ulrich with Sigurd's help is helped is you know thrown or tossed or leaps across, uh, as does Sigurd. Um, the rest of the group and the bandits they leave the inner bailey, then the outer bailey, and run down the path as they see behind them Castle Wittgenstein falling. And uh, that's kind of where we stopped. As an exciting end, they destroyed the big bads. Not didn't engage with everything, honestly, but saw Castle Wittgenstein fall. Um, they, there was a tower that they did not go up. They, there is a severance quarters area they didn't go through. But hey, that's why you run and play these again because you can always have a different outcome. Uh, they got, they did what they set out to do. They rescued their their missing companion Emric. They have a lot of treasure and and other booty that is might be important to them or interesting. Um, Book of Necromancy, as well as some books on magical lore. Uh, interesting telescope. So we'll see uh, how things go. We're pretty much finished with Death on the Reich. There is one more chapter, truth be told, that's sort of a denouement. And, uh, and then we jump into, I think, Power Behind the Throne. They found some documents and information that, well, uh, the Wittgensteins are not done for, are not done. There are still some Wittgensteins who truck in chaos and cavort with the powers that should not be cavorted with, and they know that they are in the capital. So that, I think that's where they're going to go to next. They're going to head to Altorf and deal with the power behind the throne. Hey Carl, Spencer here. I just wanted to wish you belated birthday wishes. Um, no, wishy wishes, that doesn't sound right. I just want to send you belated birthday wishes. Actually, I don't want them to be belated. I would have liked to have got in before the big day. Always better, I find. Um, anyway, I hope you had a great day. I enjoyed the birthday episode, uh, particularly like the fact that you picked up... Uh, Verson, Mystic Britain and Ireland, that's one I, I backed and um, was very happy to find that here when I returned from my wee break. Um, yeah, yeah, a uh, great looking book. Always rely on Free League to come up with the goods there. And uh, yeah, very much looking forward to tucking into that too. So uh, yeah, hope you're well, man. Take care. Bye. Hey, Spencer, thank you for the birthday wishes. And it's never too late to wish someone a happy birthday, I think. Well, maybe if it's their, you know, half birthday, it might be too late because that would be like six months from their birthday. But then for me, that would be like Christmas, so it's okay. I think around Christmas, that'd be okay. So speaking of birthday games, I did run a game for my wife, Amy, and friends um, for for her birthday, which was this past Tuesday, August 2nd. And we talked about it. We decided, like I mentioned earlier, on the Call of Cthulhu game with the characters from Downton Abbey. And uh, I planned it. She actually helped a great deal in prepping it. Uh, she hates building characters, but she put together 11 characters. And um, I went through and you know, we both edited them to kind of, after watching the show, uh, actually we watched both the movies again and we kind of amended things. 
um, but they turned out really well. I made we made them pulp heroes, so they each had an occupation and and a um, you know the the archetype as is with pulp. They had more staying power, and I think most importantly, they were hyper competent um, in the skills that that um, and they're like signature skills, and I think that was important. It made for a more fun game. So the players were, of course, Amy, and Amy played Lady Mary Talbot, as played by Michelle Dockery in the show. Jason Connerly, whom you know, played Tom Branson, who was played by Alan Leach in the show. One of our good friends who plays in a lot of our games, um, you might know him as, as at Erks on some of the discords. He played John Bates. And the show is played by Brendan Coyle. And then we had a couple of our of Amy's friends. Um, you might hear their names in the, re, not the recap, in the actual play when I do it. I don't have to mention them there. But uh, they played uh, Anna Bates, played by Joanne Forgot in the show. And the other woman who played with us played Lady Edith Pelham, March Ioness of Hexham, who is Lady Mary's sister, played by the lovely Laura Carmichael in the show. So it was pretty cool what we did. I mean, there were six other characters that were made, um, but we didn't use them. We had five players. And and I, I said that if you're familiar with the show, they just had a movie, Downton Abbey, The New Era. So I set the events after uh, what happened in that show. And I won't spoil it so you can go watch it. But it does start with uh, a revelation from one of the characters who has deceased uh, that there might be a conspiracy against the Crawleys slash Talbots, um, etc. And fearing for one of their loved ones, they go to Constantinople, which is being transitioned to being called Istanbul around this time, which is very it's a very interesting little study. Um, you could during this time in 1928-29 you could write or send mail to both Constantinople and Istanbul from in the Royal Mail Service but then at the end of 1929 you could only send to Istanbul and the US did not recognize the name change until the until 1930 it's a little bit of so it was pretty fun and I took a um I'm not going to go into the details uh, they def I definitely took inspiration and used some resources that I love to use and may one day get to the table so I used um as resources, I used uh, cults of the new Cults of Cthulhu um, book that has uh, just come out this year. I think it's up for some Ennies. It's a fascinating book, and I know um, some people say that Cthulhu is overdone, but I think what's what's cool about this book by Mike Mason and others is that it um, it kind of makes Cthulhu, the Cthulhu mythos, interesting and horrific again, which I think is good for the game. And then I used um, material. And that's a great uh, treatise on Constantinople in the 1920s in um, The Horror on the Orient Express. I used some inspiration from there as well. They did take uh, the Simplon um, line, the Simplon um, Orient Express, to their destination, about a six-day journey. Uh, so it was, it was really good, and I had a good time. I have an outline for it. Of course, we did not finish. I will probably get to a recap in another show, but that's just kind of the ideas and the basis we had. And what the players picked for their characters or who they, whom they played to pick for their characters. And, uh, and it was, it was a good time and another birthday game in the books. And hopefully what was great. And this kind of, kind of ties into RPG a day and the prompts for this week. This is not my official RPG a day 
offering, but it does tie into it in that there are two people, two friends of Amy's who had never played a role-playing game or much less Call of Cthulhu, and they really enjoyed it. They really had a good time. One of them actually posted on their Instagram page um, showing, you know, the map, you know, the kind of the screenshot of them playing. So they were very excited about it, um, which is which is great. So, I, you know, I guess I did my job as a GM and a ambassador to the hobby. So hopefully we'll get those that actual play and maybe recap in at some point. But that's kind of set up for another birthday game. I mean, you know it wouldn't be a Geomologist Presents without an unboxing or two. So here goes. I have, an, I have, actually have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine packages. But I'm only going to open a couple today. Um, well, I don't know if I'll have those as unboxings or, or what. But a couple ones that came early or a while ago that I haven't even opened yet. So I got my trusty anvil here, who's going to do help me do the honors. This is a big-ass box here. It is nine pounds. Nine-pound box, six inches deep, and sort of that 12 by 18 or so in width. It's a big old media mail box. It's coming from somewhere in South Carolina. I suspect what this is. Anvil's helped me open it. Well packaged. Is that cut through? But not too deep. Do not want to damage the contents inside. Multiple layers, lots of wrap, but it's paper, bubble wrap, and a massive tome of some sort. What could it be coming from South Carolina, you ask? As I tear through it, holy crap, this looks freaking awesome. It is the Weird Frontiers Deluxe Version. Wow, this leatherette looks really nice. This is thick and could stock a bullet. It weighs in, well, over nine pounds, clearly. But it weighs in at uh, how many pages? 896 pages. One, two... Three, eight hundred ninety-seven, ninety-eight, eight hundred ninety-nine pages, complete with reference tables on both the back and front. A pull-out map. Wow, it is uh, beautiful. 
Oh, it's a great combat modifiers in back and front. That's great. Um, the map is a not a pull-out map, but it's one of those sticky maps. You've got to be careful to remove it. But it's a beautiful map. Um, I've seen it on the on the PDF. You can tell by my voice I'm pretty excited about this thing. I'm taking the sticky off the map here so it doesn't get screwed up. Um, I hate these little stickies, honestly. I don't know how else I got to can put them, them in, the, in there, though. And this is a beautiful map of the Weird Frontiers uh, U.S. So pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's pretty neat. Apparently, there's some lost zones that include... Oh, man, Louisiana is a big old swamp. Um, definitely some strange lost zones. There's a something called the Black Marsh there, Corpus Christi, south of Victoria. It looks like it would encompass poor San Antonio. Maybe San Antonio's on the edge of it, which would be hella interesting. I see the Colorado River, so maybe. We'll have to check. I would say San Antonio and Austin are on the edge of that. New Mexico Territory, where I've set my adventure uh, for a few coppers more. Pretty neat. Very beautiful map. Um, to talk a whole podcast about this map and all the different little tidbits. But it's great. I, I really like the frequently referenced tables. Um here at the front, the, you have combat modifiers, ability modifiers, experience needed, boons, simple DCs, um, and some guidelines using two weapons. Um, the fire, simplified firearms, and on the back side you have uh, the gun deck, how you do that, lucky signs, uh, melee weapons. Uh, so very nice. The core rule book, like I said, 899 pages. It's got uh, one, two... So the first one, chapter one, is welcome. Chapter two is classes, so building a character. And they, so they give you the welcome and the introduction at the beginning. If you reference our latest, our last Cerebral War, we talk about um, organization of books. I think it might be well, very well organized. Classes is chapter two. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, eleven, twelve different classes you can play that they've introduced in Weird Frontiers. It does use the DCC rules, uh, background, and chassis. Uh, the rules on Chapter 3 that are specific uh, to the game, Magic. Magic, actually, is from page 152 to page 446. Um, the history of magic rules, mercurial magic, spells, miracles, etc. Then Judges rules, um, as well. That's Chapter 6 is Magic Items. Chapter 7 is the Bestiary, which is also pretty extensive, from page 648 to 774. Three, and then adventures. So we got a couple adventures. It looks like um, Death Crawls West and the Lost Souls Canyon. Um, so pretty cool. One looks like it takes place. Uh, it doesn't matter. One could take place wherever across some sort of badlands. Another one looks like it takes place. Uh, looks like it might take place in New Mexico. I see Santa Fe Trail, Fort Union. And then they have an appendix from page eight to thirty-four to the end. Uh, they have a advanced. It's what I like also, I see that the um, it is black and white, so the art, interior art is black and white, but um, the art is like DCC, which I really like that, that aesthetic. Um, very nice pieces, some full full page pieces, especially I think one full page piece for all the different classes, which is really cool. Uh, so what's nice is that the, the edges of the pages where the magic spells are are highlighted in black, so you can easily find where the spells are and skip it if you need to. Uh, there are quite a few, and in the best area, there's some really nice full-page, uh, full-page 
uh, black and white art. It's very, a really good art, actually. Really good black and white art. Some of these are probably, you can probably get some of these, I'm sure, in color print some, at some point for something. Um, through Weird Frontiers, it should, maybe maybe they have these, and that could be a good thing that they could do, the art of Weird Frontiers, which would be nice. Um, so something I remember, what I like. Uh, so the appendix is definitely, um, right, has a livery. It goes extensively on your equipment, so it has a livery, animals you can get, clothing, accessories, um, quite a bit on that. There is definitely like um, an expanded advanced firearm section. So you could use the simple firearms, but what I liked when I looked at the PDF, it says advanced firearm sec section, which talks about firearms as a period and goes into great detail about the history of all and the different types of weapons. So you could really go go deep and get your, your Colt Frontier versus your Colt Mean Army uh, versus your Lamotte, uh, et cetera. So uh, very nice. Same thing with rifles. Um, Burnside, you know, Colt Revolving, uh, Remington, up to the, like the, you know, the, you know, Winchesters and all that kind of stuff. So, and, and the 1873 or the 1876. So, Sharps. So, really nice, sh different shotguns, different Derringers even. Um, and then at the end, they have all the, the, the critical charts as well. So, the critical charts, which is really nice to have that as an appendix. Uh, blunt, piercing, slashing, wrestling, melee, ranged, firearms as its own chart. So, it's a pretty cool, really neat. It's pretty cool pictures uh, that they've had that they, they show here. Um, there's some pictures. Uh, oh, thanks to all of those who helped blaze the trail for Weird Frontiers, which is kind of cool. So um, nice pictures of everyone, which is nice. At different conventions, etc. Some good stuff. Uh, it's a really amazing and impressive book. I'm glad I got it and I'm glad I opened it. Weird Frontiers. Man, I don't know. I was gonna put the cast, the fall of Castle Wittgenstein as a cover, but this is really nice. This is really cool. Let me take a picture. All right. I have another package, and it is one of several I think from the same studio, but I could be wrong. Um, no, no, this is uh, from Mana Project Studio, the other one from a different publishing house, uh, but uh, this is from stu out of Studio 2 Publishing, but it is out of Knoxville, Tennessee, that is a sender, it is in like kind of a weird boxy envelope, um, like a pull-apart, but it's about uh, 11 by 17, about 3 inches thick, it has Mana Project Studio on the little tapes that are putting, keeping it together. I think I will use Android to open this as well. It's easier if I open the book up. I honestly don't remember what this is. And a lot of these European publishers, I, I did Kickstarter for like last year. And the fulfillment has been slow, but still coming. And they give you good updates, which is nice. Um, and this one, it's in bubble wrap, which is cool. Protect the book from being damaged. I need Anvil again to open the bubble wrap. I'll just cut away from you. Alright, open up the bubble wrap. Looks like there's uh, several books and some supplements in here with this. Um, oh, I got a pin. Curious. There's a pin that says Nightfell. So this must be uh, their camp Nightfell campaign. 
I put my pins in my little pin box. And yeah, it is from Mana Publishing Studio. It is Nightfell, a hit horror fantasy setting, a grim dark world under the influence of the moon for 5th edition. And it's the core book, The Bestiary. Um, it looks like an adventure book. Yay. A screen and a set of uh, standees or pogs uh, that you can use. A smallish, a small map of the world, like a just a fold-out map of the world, you know, like a one-page fold-out, which looks pretty cool. I did like the map. That's probably why I ordered it. Because if you got a good map, I'm going to order your thing. And then character sheets. Uh, so, yeah, pretty cool. The um, Everything is wrapped up. So I don't know if I want to take the time to open everything up. But we will because why? Well, why not? Put this to the side. These supplement flimsy, less more flimsy supplements to the side. Open up the. Um, I'll open up the screen first. I'll, I guess the screen came with the Kickstarter. I probably went all in. I usually go all in on a lot of these Kickstarters. And unwrap. Again, I. They also have like a little papery thing for. I guess you could use it as a poster. I also have like a little papery thing with the screen, with the you know the GM screen. It always gets torn up. I don't know, put somewhere. So the screen, it's a three-panel foldy. It's like a landscape based, a grim weapon, soul points, possession of the faces of the moon. So it's pretty like you probably wanted if you wanted more rulesy stuff that's not specific to the world. Like for standard five E, you probably would have another screen there. I guess you could put this up. And it talks about, you know, the I guess, things that are specific to the Nightfell world. That's cool. Then we got the adventure. Well, let's open the core book next. So, again, I, like, I probably went all in. And here's the core book. All in shrink wrap. So, core book. I also had really nice art, very dark and grim. Um, so the author and artistic director is Angelo Peluso. If you were wondering, again, for Mana Project, uh, chapter one is the overview. Chapter two is glossy color uh, printing. Chapter two is a history of the world. Chapter three is religion and culture. Uh, actually, history of, I don't know. I guess Ironman. I don't know what that is. I'll have to find out what Ironman is. And then there's a the world of oh, the world of Ironman. Maybe you guess it's here. Then uh, Adventures of the Night, Adventurers of the Night. So all the all the character stuff. Chapter six, delve into the night. Soul points, possession, grim weapons, the moon. Those are actually things that were on the on the screen. Uh, new items, so armor, adventuring gear, spells, and rituals. Uh, so pretty cool. As I flip through this book here is um, 240 pages. It has an index. Yay. Um, at the beginning of each chapter, they have like a two-panel art um, with the graphics. So there's a lot, definitely a definitely a lot of empty space when I'm, so I'm flipping through. Um, but that's good on the eyes, but 
does that mean that the word count is less? It'd be nice if we could get a word count on a lot of these, right? It'd be kind of fun. But it is really nice art-wise. So you have, at the beginning of each chapter, you have like a two-panel, almost a full two-panel piece of art. It's actually like three-quarters of it is art and one-quarter is like what's in this chapter type of thing, which is kind of cool. You know? Very, very evocative art. It looks pretty cool. Now they have to read it because of the world-specific magic that seems to be used. Um, bestiary. The kind of monsters they have and how if there's anything weird that, or that stands out um, when it comes to a standard 5e layout. So let's see. Uh, well, well they do they definitely break it up which I, I kind of like that in the best theory. So um, born of death, so undead probably cultists, dragons, echoes of death, failings, Horrors, witches, so uh, they definitely break it up. Um, pretty, pretty standard. Um, looks like a picture for every single monster, which is nice. Some monsters are more, uh, have more, some things are pretty detailed. Some things, I mean, depending on the type of monster, probably. Um, there is a, looks like there's, again, there is a three-quarter art uh, for each chapter. The little one-quarter of what's in the chapter and then there's a little introduction at each place. Um, so pretty good. Actually, the, the wording, the layout is definitely denser, and the page, and the so it's interesting. So like there's a text that you would read the description of the creature, but the stat block is a, short, is a smaller font, which I guess is interesting. Uh, they probably wrapped it up because there's some, yeah, pretty horrific looking pictures in here. Really cool. Good stuff. This looks like a cool world to play. I know there's some of you out there that might have... Um, back this Kickstarter, so uh, maybe we'll have to get together and try to figure it out. But, you know, the thing, I, I love getting, I don't know, I probably am not going to get another, yet another 5e world if I can help it. I have so much 5e, including Wizard of the Coast 5e, but I guess back then I was really looking for this kind of stuff. Um, and actually, I think, so for example, like for Kingmaker, I did the PF2, um, and I did get the 5e supplement just in case anyone wants to do 5e Kingmaker, but uh, we'll see. And then the adventures, it looks like there are one, two, three, four, uh, six adventures down that. It's cool. So I wonder if they're linked together. Uh, they could be separate or a single campaign. See, that? that is cool. You can play a single campaign. Um, hopefully then you wouldn't be done with it. But uh, pretty neat. Pretty good event set of adventures. World maps as well in here, it seems, um, which is nice. Um, good layout, large font, less... So the biggest amount of white space seems to have been in the core book, but these other books tend to have a really good word space to word economy, which is pretty cool. So I will put this on the shelf, and yeah, a couple boxes. I think I have like, like I said, a bunch more. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven more. Um, so yeah. Quite a few things to unbox, but uh, we'll get that to that in another another time. All right, bye. Well, folks, I think that'll be it for now. I made it under an hour, which is great. And um, so thank you for the calls from Anthony Boyd and Spencer and Jason. Thank you for listening. TJ Drennan does the intro and outro music. And today's actually cover art is by 
J.G. O'Donohue, and it is a piece of art located in the Death on the Reich book. So anyway, hope you enjoyed it. You can send me a message here on the Anchor still. You can send me a message at geomologist at gmail.com. Um, you can find me on the various discords, um, my own discord, the GM Lab. Let me know if you're interested, and I can hit you up and invite you there. But you'll find me on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various others. So thanks again, and I'll talk to you soon. TJ, take us out, man.